There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped at 10 and branch microfiber. We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon, a 27-year veteran of the NYPD. And with me tonight, this afternoon, retired NYPD detective and straight out of Brooklyn, Phil Grimaldi. How are you doing today, Phil? I'm doing pretty good. A sad day. Uh, obviously, uh, news is broken about um, what we're covering today that uh, Eliza's body has been found. So, yeah, it's a, it's a somber day. I want to welcome all you folks that are coming over from uh, Crime Time with Duty Run. We appreciate you coming uh, to our podcast, giving us a, us a chance. Uh, real crime stories from a police perspective. Bill and I covered this story right from the beginning, from last Friday, when she was running at 04:30 in the morning, and this horrendous, horrendous attack. That you don't hear attacks like this uh, very often, and sort of in a, a safe area. The University of Memphis campus, but we sort of underlined the fact that maybe uh, no one, and I'm not just a woman, no one should be running by themselves at 4:30 in the morning. You need backup. You need someone to run. You need a buddy to run with, and not just for for safety reasons, but oh, how about health reasons? Say if you had a problem health-wise, and you needed someone to help you out. It's always good to, to run with someone, you know, and, and to have a buddy on the scene there. This attack is something like that goes back almost in, it, we saw attacks like these in New York in like the 80s and 90s when just crime was totally totally out of control. Anyway, the news is as bad as we thought. I, I had mentioned early on in this investigation that one of the worst things you can ever do as a victim is to get into a car, to forcibly get into someone's car. If someone points a gun at you or a knife at you and demands you get in the car, do not do it. That's your shot. Run right then. Get the hell away right then. If they try to force you to get in the car, fight. Fight till the death, unfortunately, like Eliza did. Because it was going to end that way no matter what. What If she didn't fight, it was going to end that way. Uh, we, when we find out the history of this guy, it, it's heinous. It's just horrendous. So the body of the abducted Memphis teacher is found. And, you know, one of the things, um, it was found in an area that this perpetrator was comfortable with. He had, was seen in this area cleaning the car, washing his clothes, um, dumping evidence in a dumpster. Uh, you know, the, the teacher and the mother of two, Eliza Fletcher, was 34 years old. She went by the name Eliza. She was last seen jogging near the University of Memphis campus at about 4.30 a.m. on Friday when the police say she was forced into a dark-colored SUV. Her body was found behind a vacant duplex apartment in South Memphis on Monday afternoon, a day after police detained Leotha Abstin, 38, was charged in her disappearance. The Memphis Police Department said on Tuesday that in addition to previously announced kidnapping charges, Mr. Absent had been charged with first-degree murder. Mr. Absent has been in the SUV used in, uh, I've been in the SUV used in the abduction court, records said. Uh, Mr. Absent's brother, Mario Absent, was also arrested over the weekend, but was believed not to be connected to this abduction. The investigation is still ongoing. It's too early to know if more people will be charged. Uh, the officials reported that at a news conference, which we'll, we'll show you a little bit of the news conference later. The place and manner of Ms. Fletcher's death was still under investigation, Memphis Police Chief C.J. Davis said. Ms. Fletcher remains were found about seven miles from where she was abducted, but just blocks from Mario Abstin's apartment. Just, you know, as I said, if we could get a worse ending to this story, I don't know what it would be. Phil? 
Bill, I have to just interject something. Um, the fact that she was jogging at that time in the morning, it's been reported by her family. The reason that she jogged at that location was because it was well-lit, security cameras. She was comfortable at that school. She obviously had a busy schedule. That's why she was jogging early in the morning. Bill, you're making a great point about the fact that if you're going to do that, you shouldn't be alone. You should have some type of self-defense mechanism, whether it be mace or different things like that, self-defense techniques. It appears that even though even though she did fight, he was able to overpower her violently. Uh, a violent struggle probably ensued from what we're being told by the video, as well as possible witnesses. And uh, he was able to overpower her. He was in the area for 25 minutes beforehand, stalking the area. We feel that there's a possibility he may have known her movements from a prior interaction. Maybe he possibly saw her jogging another time. But there's been people that took exception to the word savage uh, that we used in this program. But I looked it up. And the definition of an animal or force of nature, fierce, violent, and uncontrolled. That's the definition that I came up with. And I think that that definition fits exactly into the the uh, scenario that we're seeing here. Labeling him a savage is probably quite, quite uh, correct. And, and I think it's very direct. Um, this woman uh, was obviously in physical, uh, good physical condition. She probably did put up a fierce struggle. They knew that there was going to be blood evidence in the vehicle based on that video. So that tells you that during the struggle, she probably sustained severe injuries that were causing uh, bleeding, severe bleeding. So again, uh, it's just horrible. It's tragic. And I just think that the first thing that a lot of people are saying, well, how did she, why, why was she on the street at 430 morning? I get it. It makes uh, not too much sense to be doing that. However, she did go to a location she felt safe and comfortable with. Uh, a college campus usually has a security patrol, security cameras well lit. However, this, uh, this savage, and I'm going to call him that, uh, was able to, uh, you know, uh, secrete himself into the area and overtake this uh, young lady and uh, cause her death. It's just, it's horrible. MMM Rhino Girl, AED, thank you for the 100 super chat. Support you so love from Dubai. Thank you for all you do. You know, when you talk about all people do, the police in this case, I can't just say how fantastic they were. A, a team of police, you know, and I'm going to show a little bit of the press conference. Let's, let, let's not forget it was the FBI, the TBI, the ATF, um, the Memphis police, the, the Memphis University police. Um, I, I hope I'm not leaving anybody. Oh, oh the um, Fugitive Enforcement Division. Fantastic. Fantastic. They're the people that go and apprehend savages like this. And they do it with with glee, believe me. They want to put a guy like this back behind the bars, uh, bars so quickly, and they do it with stealthiness and superb professionalism. I want to play some of this press conference. Good morning. Today is a very sad day in the city of Memphis. First, I'd like to express our sincere condolences to the family, friends, and numerous others who have been impacted by the tragic and heinous kidnapping of Eliza Fletcher. Yesterday evening, September 5th, at approximately 5.07 p.m., the Memphis Police Department and other law enforcement partners discovered the remains of a body, a human body, in the rear of a vacant duplex apartment at the 1600 block of 50th Street. At that time, it was believed the unidentified body could possibly... Bill, is it a little low? It is low, but it's it's okay. It's okay. okay. Further forensic investigation by the MPD traffic unit positively identified the body was, in fact, Eliza Fletcher. This finding marked the culmination of a four-day intensive investigation incorporating a robust search and rescue effort and the timely arrest of suspect Cleotha Abstin on September 3rd, the day following the kidnapping. Cleotha Abstin has been charged by MPD homicide investigators with the following state charges. First degree murder, first degree murder and perpetration of kidnapping, especially aggravated kidnapping and tampering with evidence. 
In addition, Abstin has been charged with the following unrelated offenses, identity theft, theft of property, and credit card fraud. While the outcome of this investigation is not what we hoped for, we are nonetheless pleased to remove this dangerous predator off the streets of Memphis. I'd like to personally thank the professional and highly skilled men and women of the Memphis Homicide Unit, the Memphis Police Department, the FBI, the U.S. Marshals, the Tennessee Bureau of Investigations, the Shelby County Sheriff's Office, the District Attorney General's Office, Homeland Security, the ATF, and the University of Memphis Police Department for your relentless efforts. You know, I'm having a hard time hearing this too. So I'm gonna put that, I have another station plays this, uh, the same uh, press conference. Let me see if I can get it. Uh, it was a little bit on the low side. I did raise my volume up a little bit. So maybe yeah, that's a good idea. She um, basically was uh, going into all the different agencies that were working on this uh, investigation. And um, again, a big salute to them. Good morning. Today is a very sad day in the city of Memphis. First, I'd like to express our sincere condolences to the family, friends, and numerous others who have been impacted by the tragic and heinous kidnapping of Eliza Fletcher. Yesterday evening, September 5th, at approximately 5.07 p.m., the Memphis Police Department and other law enforcement partners discovered the remains of a body, a human body, in the rear of a vacant duplex apartment at the 1600 block of Victor Street. At that time, it was believed the unidentified body could possibly be the remains of kidnapping victim Eliza Fletcher. Further forensic investigation by the MPD traffic unit positively identified the body was in fact Eliza Fletcher. This finding marked the culmination of a four day intensive investigation incorporating a robust search and rescue effort and the timely arrest of suspect Cleotha Abstin on September 3rd, the day following the kidnapping. Cleotha Abstin has been charged by MPD homicide investigators with the following state charges. First degree murder, first degree murder and perpetration of kidnapping, especially aggravated kidnapping and tampering with evidence. In addition, Abstin has been charged with the following unrelated offenses, identity theft, theft of property and credit card fraud. While the outcome of this investigation is not what we hoped for, we are nonetheless pleased to remove this dangerous predator off the streets of Memphis. I'd like to personally thank the professional and highly skilled men and women of the Memphis Homicide Unit, the Memphis Police Department, the FBI, the U.S. Marshals, the Tennessee Bureau of Investigations, the Shelby County Sheriff's Office, the District Attorney General's Office, Homeland Security, the ATF, and the University of Memphis Police Department for your relentless efforts and many contributions toward this investigation. The collaboration and cooperation amongst all of our partner agencies was nothing less than symphonic. We are also very grateful for the hundreds of tips that came through our Crime Stoppers and other platforms from our citizens at large. Our engaged and supportive community is truly our most valued asset. Just remember that this still is an ongoing investigation. At this time, I would like to bring up FBI Special Agent in Charge, Doug Korneski. Good morning. First and foremost, on behalf of the FBI, uh, I want to extend the extreme sympathy and condolences of our office to the family and friends of Eliza. Uh, while most of us did not know her, Prior to this tragedy, uh, through the course of the recent investigation, 
we got a small glimmer into the light that she was to her family and friends and community. Next, I just want to commend the immense collaborative efforts of the local, state, and federal law enforcement during this investigation. As the family knows, um, every possible resource that we had as a law enforcement community, to include the FBI, was brought to bear to both find Eliza and her perpetrator and hold him accountable. And then simply last, I just want to thank the community for their support during this investigation, the many tips and leads that we received. We are a member of this community as well, and this, this situation, this tragedy impacts us deeply as well. Um, so with that, I just again want to thank the community. Next, I'll be followed by the Acting Assistant Special Agents in Charge, Ali Roberts from ATF. First, on behalf of ATF, I'd like to extend our deepest condolences to the family and friends affected by this tragedy. Uh, no resources were spared to locate and arrest the individual responsible for this incomprehensible violent crime. ATF utilized resources such as assigning special agents, our canine, and utilizing the E-Trace database. Uh, we also utilize our expertise as we work with our state and local partners to bring about justice to the family and friends in reference to this uh, tragedy. I would like to bring next up uh, U.S. Marshal Tyrese Miller. Thank you. Good afternoon. On behalf of the United States Marshal Service, we certainly want to extend our sincere condolences to the family of Eliza Fletcher, her friends and family, and, and those that, that knew her. Uh, as I understand it, she, she touched many lives and certainly a, a, a loss. As I've said on numerous occasions, the, the Marshal Service has a very uh, unique relationship with the Memphis Police Department. Uh, at, at any time they call, we're there to assist. And we were glad to receive that call on Saturday when a suspect had been identified. Uh, we then went about uh, finding the suspect vehicle in question as well as the suspect himself. Uh, he was spotted, the vehicle was spotted in an apartment complex, and we also conducted surveillance on him. And then when he uh, tried to make a move, uh, we went in and, and made the arrest safely uh, and took him into custody and turned him over to the custody of the Memphis Police Department. And after that, uh, we also participated in the search efforts to find Ms. Fletcher all day Sunday and all day Monday. And uh, as has been stated, uh, it was not the uh, outcome we were looking for. Um, we were dedicated and committed to continue those search efforts and assist our partners until she was found. Next, I will turn it over to uh, District Attorney General Steve Morrow. Well, I don't, I'm not going to play every single law enforcement agency that gets up there, and, and uh, rightfully so, they they take a bow, and they deserve a bow. Uh, if you're new to this case, one of the ways that they tracked this guy was on the scene, he had left his sandals, and also on the scene was Eliza's cell phone, which was smashed, and her water bottle. Um a guy riding by on a bicycle picked those items of, of evidence up that was so, so important. And he turned them over, uh, I believe, to the family of Eliza, who turned them over to the police. When, the, when I believe it was Chief Davis uh, referenced the biggest uh, thing we have in the community is the people helping the police. And that is so, so important. Without their help, I don't think they would have gotten such a quick resolution to this case, even though it's not the resolution you want to see. But the evidence is so, so important to make sure that a guy like this never walks as a free man again in, in this country. And, you know, the the way they process this evidence is miraculous. And, you know, the, the speed of, in which they returned the DNA evidence and identified this perp, I can't get over it. It's, it's, it's amazing. It wasn't available when I was on the police department you know, 10 years ago. So you can think of the, the advancements in DNA technology that enabled them to identify this guy in less than 24 hours 
utilizing DNA. We'll talk more about the evidence and what it means in the, the, um, the evidence inside the vehicle, the evidence undoubtedly that will be on Eliza's body, and the evidence, of course, that they would check and photograph the perpetrator's body. Because uh, there's something called Locard's theory of exchange. And when two bodies come in contact, evidence from one winds up on the other. Even though he tried to get rid of the evidence by washing up and cleaning the car and cleaning his body and cleaning his clothing and get, getting rid of any evidence that he may have had that he had any contact with her. Bill, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and make a little bit of an assumption. The uh, phone was uh, recovered by Miles Fortis at about 6.45 in the morning, along with the slides that uh, the champion slides that were uh, eventually linked to the perpetrator. It sounds like maybe the phone was cracked, but still optional, because I don't think that there was a bolo, a be on the lookout for someone who had kidnapped uh, in such a quick period of time, for him to return the, the cell phone and the slides to the family. Maybe they were calling the phone looking for her. Perhaps he picked it up and they uh, made arrangement for him to bring it to them. That is kind of an assumption, but I think it's the most logical explanation. When you're talking about the evidentiary part of this case, Bill, very, very important. Uh, the Location where her body was found was an abandoned house when in a close proximity to where he was cleaning the vehicle. Um, I think that that's going to be key to uh, preserving evidence. Had he uh, disposed of her body in a, uh, let's say, in a field or in a body of water, it probably would have uh, eliminated some of the trace evidence that you talked about, the exchange, the Tokard's theory of, uh, uh, theory of exchange. Uh, maybe some of that would have been tainted. Uh, however, being that it was in an abandoned home, there may be, uh, you know, uh, different, uh, you know, uh, uh, areas where he could have scratched himself or hurt himself, dangerous objects in, in the abandoned home. We don't know what the inside of that abandoned home looks like. Perhaps he did leave some more DNA evidence at that location. Uh, hopefully there's going to be DNA evidence recovered from her body. Um, there's so many things on this case that are going to point towards this perpetrator. However, I don't think you could have enough nails in the coffin uh, to get to the point of beyond the reasonable doubt. So there's absolutely no question that he is the person responsible for this. There's also been reports that possibly his brother Mario could possibly be involved. I think the police are looking into that. He was arrested for some uh, narcotics or uh, a weapons possession, something to that effect. However, the family did come out publicly, uh, other family members, and say that they basically were disowning him, him and, and uh, his family. They were known to be crazy was the exact quote that I heard on the news earlier. So again, uh, he did some real creepy stuff in and around the location that he was staying at, but trying to stay on the evidence. Uh, I'm just glad that they did recover her remains. It gives the family some type of a closure. I don't think there's ever a complete closure when you lose a loved one in this nature. However, they will have now her body back to uh, give her a memorial and a service and a burial. So or wh whatever they choose to do, uh, the family, but uh, it's not going to stop the hurt or the pain of the two young children, the husband, the family, the rest of the uh, friends and family members. But uh, it is one step, uh, I guess, towards, uh, you know, some type of uh, healing. Uh, I don't think there's ever, like I said, ever any complete closure on a case like this. There is also evidence, folks, that he was there 20 minutes prior actually stalking her. So he obviously knew that she was going to come running by that location. Uh, there were some reports, and I don't have the exactly confirmation, that he had stolen her credit card or her wallet the day before and had used it. Now, I don't know the exact circumstances of that, but uh, I saw some reports of that. And again, unless I have it coming directly from the police, which I don't, and obviously the police are withholding some evidentiary information because um, they, they want to make sure this case is solid. Let uh, me make a quick comment on that, Bill. I did see part of his actual court hearing. It was broadcast on News Nation. I saw a small part of it. The judge did talk about a grand larceny charge with a credit card. He didn't state whether or not it was connected to this particular case or not. It was kind of unclear. I didn't watch the whole press conference. It was kind of long, but I did catch that part. He is being charged with uh, a grand larceny based on a, a credit card and then some type of a theft, a misdemeanor theft uh, under $1,000. I don't know if it's related to this case. Perhaps it is. Uh, I'm sure we're going to find out in the, in the days going forward. I want to show you something. This is the scene yesterday 
right around the time they, they had recovered her, her remains. Uh, you can imagine how frantic this was. The police, you can see how weary they are. They've been working on this straight with no rest. This is topping the tent tonight. A possible break in the search for jogger Eliza Fletcher, who was kidnapped Friday. A body has been found, but police have not confirmed it's Fletcher or even related to the investigation. Right now, 38-year-old Cleotha Abston was in or is in jail, charged with kidnapping. The body was found near his brother's apartment. Hello, I'm Greg Hurst. Stephanie is off tonight. We want to get right to South Memphis for the latest on this new development in the investigation and this unfortunate discovery. WRG's Bria Jones is live near Victor Street, where there is a large police presence out there right now. And Bria, just the worst possible news. Yeah, Greg, the MPD command post has been here on scene for hours. Investigators have not officially identified the body, but this comes on the fourth day of the search for Eliza Fletcher. A gut-wrenching discovery in South Memphis as detectives confirm a body was located a few yards away from where Eliza Fletcher's alleged abductor came hours after her kidnapping. A connection too close for comfort for onlookers peeping through the fence awaiting developments. It's traumatizing, especially for, you know, South Memphis already known to be, you know, a bad area, but to have these. Monday, Memphis police swarmed this area after finding a body in an overgrown lot near a vacant home on Victor Street. The scene just a stone's throw away from where Memphis police say 38-year-old Cleotha Abson came hours after abducting Fletcher. They believe he cleaned blood from the interior of the SUV used in the abduction and washed his clothes in his brother's sink. Police say Abson, a convicted kidnapper, snatched Fletcher while she was doing her usual run near the University of Memphis around 4.30 Friday morning. WREG captured this video of a dumpster being towed from the nearby Longview Gardens apartments. Today, investigators returned to the complex. They got the trash cans just over here the other day. I just hate that it's right up under their nose. Police haven't identified the body. They haven't said if it's male or female, but there are currently no reports of a missing man. So tonight, hearts are sinking across the Bluff City at the thought of the loss of a prominent Miffian mother, wife, and cherished school teacher. I just hate it for the family. It's a tough time for the, the husband, the kids, because, you know, <laughs> don't nobody want to go without their parents. Again, police have not identified the body. The cause of death is still under investigation. Now reporting live in South Memphis, Bria Jones, WREG News, Channel 3. All right, heartbreaking news tonight. Bria, thanks. Breaking news. So, folks, you know, uh, some people were talking in the chat. Yes, they do have video of the attack. I don't know how clear it is, uh, but that was how they first put this case together. In fact, I believe it was the Memphis University Police who first called 911 at 7 o'clock in observing this attack on video. And then it was called in by her husband, I believe, at 0745 when she, wouldn't when she didn't return home. So all of this evidence, it's, it's tremendous evidence. And as we put the evidence together, string it together, that's what builds a case against someone like this. And I, I believe even at this point, and they're not by any means through with this investigation, they're building a super strong case. And they have some of the best police and law enforcement professionals on this case that I've seen in one place in a very long time. Bill, we talked about how his cell phone was pinging in and around the area of the attack at the time of the attack. They may also be able to figure out if his cell phone was in and around the location where the uh, victim's body was, where Eliza's body was recovered. Again, that's going to be a little bit more uh, evidence. Like I said, it's going to be another nail into the coffin of this low life. And, uh, you know, uh, one of the pundits that I saw on TV earlier today made a really great point. It was a, a fairly well-known, uh, affluent uh, criminal defense attorney. He talked about that there was bail uh, set of $500,000 in the original case. I believe, and, and the attorney made the same point, this is such an egregious, egregious case that, you know, I have a problem with that. 
when we have a person who's missing, and at the time when they set the bail, she hadn't been recovered, but we had all this other evidence. What's the problem with a remand pending the location of the person who's missing? I think that that was improper. Obviously, he may not have had the means to uh, make a $500,000 bail, but you never know. There's always that outside chance. And you're going to put someone who's an obvious predator back out onto the street with the possibility of you know, bail. Uh, again, we argue about bail in New York because the bail system has been reformed and it's just terrible. They're letting criminals out over and over again, committing the same crime. But in a situation like this, I think that he posed a clear threat to the community. And that's where judges have to start to take a stand and say, you know what? Remand. I mean, before all the bail reform in New York, any type of a murder charge most of the time they remanded for the next hearing. It's not like you're remanding them forever. Let's look at what the evidence is going to show. We'll, we'll uh, ha have a look at this in, a, you know, in another week, two weeks, whatever it is. But I found that very, very disturbing that they actually would put bail on someone like this. And then today, even though they charged with murder, they continued the $500,000 bail. And they're going to have a hearing on it tomorrow morning because of the fact that it wasn't on the docket or whatever. It sounds like a... Uh, you know, a little bit of uh, miscommunication with the court or something or a technicality. But again, I, I have a problem with that. The criminal justice system in the United States, innocent until proven guilty. However, with the amount of evidence that was uh, clear in this case, there should have been no bail. It should have been a remand right from the beginning. Yeah, I agree with you, Phil. Cleotha Abstin, 38 years old, uh, in the year 2000, he was arrested for kidnapping of an attorney who he kidnapped at gunpoint, threw him in the trunk of his car and drove him around for several hours as he removed currency from his ATM card, which he forcibly removed from him, obviously. Cleotha Abson also had a extensive, extensive violent juvenile record. Many times um, in our system, juvenile records are sealed to protect the defendant from prejudice from the criminal justice system. And apparently, Leotha Abstin had an extensive and violent juvenile history. I think in cases like this, his juvenile record should be unsealed. And we should be allowed to see exactly what we're getting with this guy. Uh, there is this morning, uh, I want to show you a bit of his his arraignment. Um, Bill, you know, it was reported earlier. I saw a report, uh, uh, cable news, Fox News, that said when he was 12 years old, he was arrested for rape and assault. I know it's a, a juvenile record probably sealed. I don't know how they were able to discern that information, but I think that you're right. In cases like this, that should be public information. We want to know about uh, someone who's a predator like this. Absolutely. Right, we are going live here. First time ever seeing the suspect right now uh, coming. Let's listen right here on Live Down from Fox. I know you're wearing a facial mask, so speak as clearly as you can through your mask. Uh, sorry, you should understand what I'm saying. We have uh, two cases on the docket today. We do. And uh, in one case, I'm uh, listed here on the docket as Cleopa Hampson. In the second case, uh, they have listed it as uh, Cleopa Hampson Henderson, which is correct, legally. Which, which is correct. Ashton hyphen Anderson. Sir? Anderson. Okay. And, uh, where, where's the uh, Ashton coming in? Social Security. And I'll address you uh, that way. In your first case, you're charged with especially aggravated kidnapping and tampering with or fabricating evidence in a criminal case. Your bond is set by the judicial commissioner in that case in the amount of $500,000. In your second case, you're charged with a misdemeanor offense, theft of property with a value of $1,000 or less, identity theft, and fraudulent use or possession of a credit card. Your bond was set in that case in the amount of $10,000 by the Judicial Commissioner. You're presumed to be innocent of the charges. You have the right to have a lawyer represent you on these charges. And that is why uh, you were asked to fill out some information for me uh, for each case in an affidavit. Similar to this one, you have two. One for each case. Raise your right hand, sir. 
do you swear or affirm that the facts and the information that you are submitting in each of your uh, affidavits concerning whether you can make bond and whether you can hire an attorney is true and correct information, sir? Make your hand down. In each of your affidavits uh, for each case, you state that at this time you are not able to make bond and no one to help you. And you're not able to afford a lawyer. Is that correct? Your affidavits will be filed here in uh, each of your court jackets. And based upon your affidavits, I'm going to appoint an attorney to represent you. You'll be assigned a lawyer, appointed counsel, from the office of the Shelby County Public Defender. I'm referring uh, your cases today to the office and holding your cases over for a short continuance so they can assign a lawyer to represent you who will review uh, your cases and the facts as ma'am. Good morning, Your Honor. Right. On behalf of the Shelby County Public Defender, I accept the appointment. The case will be monitored. All right, you'll sign on both jackets, Ms. Jennifer Case. Yes, Your Honor. I would also advise the court that I'm at this time filing a motion for restriction of extrajudicial sentence as prosecution by law enforcement as witnesses in the case. You can file whatever motions you need to at this time. Thank you, Your Honor. I'll be asking the court for order. Just to advise, you know, I'll be spoken to Mr. Hageman. I understand that there are additional charges that are forthcoming. Uh, how do you want to handle this today? I'd say a couple things, Your Honor. First, with regard to this uh, motion, I think she said something to the effect of preparing an order. Uh, the state intends, as we always do, to comport with the ethical rules about what we can say and what we can't say. Uh, I don't understand a request or any sort of gag order at this time. This is literally the first court date. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't, there's nothing in the record right now. I haven't seen it with a written motion. If and when a written motion is filed, I will review it and rule on it. To understand, you'll have the opportunity to be heard. Very good. Uh, the second thing, Your Honor, is yes, additional file uh, charges were filed this morning for murder, premeditated murder, and murder in perpetration of the kidnapping. Uh, I would expect the Judicial Commission to send those cases here, the clerk's office in those cases here, as Your Honor uh, stated. I would expect them to defer to Your Honor with regard to a bond setting on those cases. I think it would normally come to this court with no bond set and i think it would make the most sense just record keeping and everything else right now this should go ahead and show no bond set on this matter as well um so we get everything straight in the record is this going to be any motion filed to reduce bond or set no bond or revoke bond i want it in writing in the record under the sector bond has been set by the judicial commission at this time that's fine. There's going to be any request by the defense to uh, reduce the bond or change the bond. Must Again, this is the arraignment of Cleotha Alston, uh, male, 38 years old, increase it, being it, charged like must be with the kidnapping of your motion to have Eliza Fletcher and um, the case is not in front of murder first degree. As far as a written motion, uh, this is a death penalty case. I don't know whether. They will, in fact, go for the death penalty in um, Tennessee, but um, this is a death penalty case. And I would say he's definitely qualified, Bill. Yeah, that can always be used as a bargaining chip uh, to try to get the defendant to plea, but I, I don't know if they would even want this guy to plea. I think they want to take him to trial and just give him, you know, get him a life without parole sentence if they can't get a death penalty, which is very difficult to get in almost any state in the United States these days. I'm going to take us away from the uh, arraignment. Uh, guys, you know, as I said earlier on, uh, Phil and I covered this case right from the beginning, and we knew right from the beginning, and I, I, I hate to be I told you so or not hopeful. You always want to be hopeful in these cases that the victim will be recovered alive. But I always know in, in my entire police career, if someone gets dragged into a car, that is the, it's almost 99% chance that person's ever going to be seen again alive. It's just that heinous of a crime. And then when they, the fact that he stayed at the scene for four minutes, the fact that they had video showing him causing 
a horrendous uh, assault on her. All of those things were not good. And the, fa the, the fact that he was cleaning up the car to get rid of blood evidence and cleaning his own clothes and cleaning his body, she probably fought him. She probably has DNA of his underneath her fingernails. That's how hard she fought him. And let's hope that all the evidence in this case puts every nail in his coffin that we can possibly have. Billy, you know, earlier in the chat, uh, PJK put in the chat that a Fitbit watch tracks your location. Uh, I think that that's a great thing to remind people about. If you're going to be out running, you have one of those Fitbit watches. If you do carry a cell phone, uh, if it's uh, damaged or if it's taken from you, the Fitbit watch can still track your location. I think that's a very good point to bring up. Uh, Bill, I want to talk a little bit about our criminal justice system. Now, the criminal justice system uh, is basically designed for accountability for criminal actions. That's why this sentence is meted out. And the whole idea of the criminal justice system with regard to uh, jail is to rehabilitate a person. Uh, that's why they call the corrections department in, in New York corrections. You're trying to correct the person to be put back out into so society. However, there are some people, and I think that this person qualifies there should have been some type of psychological evaluation. I don't care, you know, all right, you're given 20 years, you do your 20 years, you're out. No, that's not the way the system should be. There should be more of accountability for people that, uh, you know, exhibit such criminal behavior, such violent behavior. I mean, he's got a, a track record of it all the way from when he was a juvenile. And yet we unleash this animal on society. Uh, you know, and when I use that word, uh, there's people in the chat that want to make comments about race and stuff like that. I never looked at a victim by race or color. Uh, if you were a minority, if you were not a minority, it didn't matter to me. A victim was a victim. That's how I saw it in my eyes. And every police officer that I worked with had the same view. I'm sure you did too, Bill. So again, uh, if I characterize him as an animal, what he did was an animal act. He was a predator. He stalked, he waited, he waited for his prey 20 or 25 minutes. And then he attacked. And we know what the result is now. She's dead. The family is left with two children that don't have a mother and everyone is emotionally broken. Now, when it comes to a homicide case, I looked at the victim's family. Emotional pain knows no color, okay? When you're dealing with a family, it doesn't matter what color they are or who they are, what 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 their you know background is. You're looking at people that are broken. A loved one was murdered. And and that emotional pain, there's no uh, you know, it doesn't know any color or anything like that. So I get really enraged when people start to talk about in the chat about whether or not race plays a, a role in it. No, it doesn't. We as law enforcement officers, we don't see race. I mean, there might be some bad apples out there that do. I know myself, I treated every victim as a victim. I didn't care what their background was. You know, folks, um, talking about her family, her family put out such a, a warm and heartfelt, uh, loving message about, you know, their mom, their uh his wife, their their uh, daughter, their cousin, and it was just so classy what they put out. And in the, in this message they put out, they also asked for space for people to give them space to grieve, which they deserve, of course, and not to ask them questions about this case. Uh, just just the the horror of this is just it, it's just unfathomable to think of the outcome of this. One of the things about that, you know, we, we talk about the technology used to track this perpetrator, and it's nothing short of miraculous. The speed in which they identified this guy, the speed in which they recovered her body, I think that we expect great things from law enforcement because they always give it to us. They always deliver, you know, 99% of the time they deliver. And when you put this many arms of law enforcement together, they can do, they can move mountains. The FBI, the TBI, the ATF, the Fugitive Enforcement Division, uh, the Memphis Police, the Memphis University Police. I mean, I apologize if I'm missing any one of them, but they moved mountains here. They really did move a mountain. And, and the investigation's not over. There's still gotta be, you know, as we say, I know it's a cliche, there's still T's to cross and I's to dot. And they're going to do that, believe me. 
And listen, uh, based on what you saw in this investigation, we can't prevent uh, predators from preying on people. However, we have the tools at our fingertips to catch these people and place them in jail. The criminal justice system needs to keep them there and hold them accountable. And this defund the police movement of the last couple of years since the George, George Floyd uh, incident is completely ridiculous. We need to have more technology. We need to have more officers at the ready. I mean, we have a national problem in this country. Crime is out of control in every state in the country. Crime is up. So now we saw... What law enforcement did in this particular case, how they were able to successfully uh, bring this criminal to justice. Uh, he's going to be charged. He's going to be tried. They recovered the remains of the victim. And it was in a short period of time. And Bill and I can't say it enough. We're, we're just really amazed at it because when we were on active duty in the police department, DNA uh, technology was not where it is today. It took much longer period of time to get a DNA match in a database like they enlisted in this. And then you have all the other stuff, all the video cameras, the technology, the uh, you know traffic cameras, uh, the cell phone technology, the triangulation of the cell phone technology. That is going to be imperative in this case because it's his cell phone, it's on his person, and he's at the location. So all of these different things. I, I think it all came together in this case, and this should be a model for uh, law enforcement going forward. And, uh, you know, as far as people criticizing the victim for being out at 430 in the morning, that that's really not called for here. We don't know, you know, what her lifestyle was like that she wanted to go out at that time. We talked about it earlier. So, again, this uh, the family's looking for a little bit of privacy right now. They need to go through the grieving process. So again, uh, victim shaming or criticism at this point, I don't think that that's uh, proper, uh, you know, to, to, to be public about that. Let's talk about that down the line. You know, folks, there's a lot of talking heads, of course, on uh, social media, on, uh, you know, all different TV stations. We don't know yet if there's a nexus or if there's any, if there were anyone else or other people involved in this case. But what I know, and I have confidence that the investigation is going to continue. And if there is a nexus, if there is anyone else involved in this, it'll definitely come out. The, the investigators are that good. Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. And if you like real crime stories from a police perspective, go on to our YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. Give us a thumbs up. Ring that bell. And if you want to help us. Uh, financially, we have a Patreon with three different levels, and we also have YouTube YouTube <laughs> channel members with five different levels, and you can see the folks in the green font. They're part of our YouTube uh, membership family, and we really appreciate them so much. But again, if you're not, if you're not subscribed, go on our YouTube and subscribe. It's free to do that. Now, just give another short report um, from uh, Fox on this. This is, of course. Uh, a national story that uh, everyone's covering it. Fox's alert now, a body found in a heavily wooded area near where heiress Eliza Fletcher was kidnapped is now confirmed to be her. She was found about seven miles from where she was beaten and kidnapped Friday morning in Memphis. The suspect, 38-year-old Cleotha Abson, was identified and taken into custody on Saturday. He was expected to be in court at any moment, but that hearing has been canceled as additional charges are now being added for first-degree murder. Welcome to a brand new hour of America's Newsroom. I'm Dana Perino. It's sad news yeah, indeed. sure is. Dana, good morning to you. I'm Bill Hemmer. Police still not releasing an official cause of death. She was a kindergarten teacher. Eliza Fletcher went for her morning jog, as she does, very early, 4 o'clock a.m., uh, when she was attacked last Friday near the University of Memphis. Detectives saying that surveillance video shows the suspect aggressively running toward her, grabbing her off the street and forcing her into his SUV, leaving her phone and water bottle behind and some shoes with DNA matching the suspect. His cell phone signal placing him near the scene. We're going to cover this from all angles for you. Criminal defense attorney Philip Holloway, a former district attorney and former D.C. homicide detective Ted Williams and a Fox News contributor join us. But first, to Charles Watson, he is live outside the courthouse. He has the latest. And Charles, we just spoke to you an hour ago. Now we have this confirmation. 
Yeah, hey, good morning, Dana. Uh, yeah, we just got this confirmation from the Memphis police. They posted on Twitter that the deceased victim uh, that they located in the residential neighborhood in South Memphis yesterday evening is, in fact, uh, Eliza Fletcher. Uh, they also said in this uh, statement that they put out on Twitter that additional charges are uh, for 38-year-old suspect in this place, case, uh, Cleotha Abson, uh, have been added for first-degree murder and first-degree murder and perpetration of kidnapping. Uh, now, Last night, uh, Dana and Bill, I was out at the scene in South Memphis, and you could see the writing on the wall. Uh, police weren't saying much about what they were looking for, what they had uh, in this residential neighborhood, but the uh, but the amount of officers that we saw over there, uh, you know, sort of. Uh, 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 sort of led to the fact of led people to believe that they did find uh, Fletcher in, in this area. Again, they have not said what her cause of death is, but uh, police have said all along uh, in an affidavit that they believe that Fletcher um, sustained serious uh, bodily injury when she was uh, running on the campus of University uh, on the uh, University of Memphis campus. And uh, this man just came up and aggressively uh, attacked her and pulled her into a vehicle. Now, we, we've been outside of uh, the courthouse this morning. We're hearing uh, that absence uh, court appearance today has been canceled. We've been inside uh, trying to work some of our sources inside to see if we can get more information on that. Uh, those details are scarce right now. We're working to see if that hearing uh, will happen today. But uh, again, police have confirmed uh, the body that they found in a residential neighborhood in South Memphis yesterday is Eliza Fletcher. New charges added to uh, to the suspect in this case, abstinent. And again, guys, uh, the, the evidence, uh, everyone is presumed innocent until proven guilty, but the evidence that police presented in the affidavit uh, seemed to be, uh, seemed to overwhelmingly point to absent in this case. Uh, you mentioned it, Dana. Dana. They uh, pointed to the fact that a cell phone belonging to the victim pinged in the area uh, where Fletcher was running last Friday on the University of Memphis campus. Also, uh, the items that were left behind uh, at the abduction site, a cell phone, uh, as well as a pair of sandals that were later sent to uh, state investigators who linked them to absent through DNA. He, of course, uh, has a history of kidnapping. He was convicted in 2000 uh, to more than 20 years in prison for kidnapping a Memphis lawyer and uh, and, and holding him had at gunpoint, driving him around the city for hours until that lawyer was uh, finally able to uh, alert a security guard and get some help. So, uh, you know, uh, again, he has a history of this and it appears uh, after being released from jail uh, less than two years later, uh, he, he's done it again. You know, you heard that report and I think it's, uh, it's important to, to also notice He's a, a criminal's criminal. He does things near where he's comfortable with. He dumped her body right near where he lives. I mean, that just is total, you know, felonious mopery, we would call that in the NYPD. Right. He's like just a criminal that just doesn't think he's a predator. He thinks like a like a lion or a predator searching for a victim. And then when he uh, when he thinks about, oh, how can I get away with this? He does everything near where he lives, tries to dump the evidence, tries to clean the car, tries to go to other places that he's comfortable with, tries to wash his clothes all where he lives. I mean, this is not a smart guy. This is one of the worst, just, just a bad, bad criminal, a career, felonious, violent criminal. Bill, obviously a typical criminal. Um, you brought up earlier about a nexus of possibly someone else being involved. I think uh, the investigation is going to focus on his actions prior to the incident. They're going to look for possible video surveillance of him in and around her where she lived maybe or along that route that she was uh, taken to go jogging. His cell phone will also give them a clear picture. They'll triangulate it as to where he was in the days prior. So again, there could be a possibility that he was working possibly along with someone else on this uh, horrible crime. And they will be able to tell if he was around, uh, if their paths crossed previously. There's technology with cell phones where they can tell if uh, her cell phone and his cell phone hit the same cell tower at the same time, which would indicate that they were in close proximity to one another, which, you know, 
if there was a possibility that he was stalking her prior to this event. So there's all of that stuff I'm sure is going to be looked at. And again, you made a great point, Bill. They want to see if there's a nexus of anyone else being involved or him having prior uh, stalking of uh, the victim in this case. Alicia B., thank you so much for the $20 super chat. Great coverage, gentlemen. Thank you. You know, folks, we had uh, mentioned yesterday also that, you know, like people, of course, everyone wants to give their view on this. And that, that's why, you know, watching real crime or, or, you know, listening to us or listening to other channels, why it's so interesting. And everyone has their own perspective or their own point of view. However, in this instance, in this kidnapping, I feel that if it was meant for ransom or any other reason like that, he wouldn't have inflicted almost a deadly physical injury on her right at the at Jump Street. You don't kidnap someone and hurt them the way he did. You just don't do that. If your intention was ransom, you would try to keep them as pristine as possible and not hurt them. That's why I think his motives were other things and not a kidnapping for, for money or ransom. Uh, if, if I had a guess, I would think his motive is sexual in nature. And again, uh, one of the things that I saw earlier today from that very prestigious uh, criminal defense attorney, very well-known Mark Hoglish, I believe his name is, he said that, and this is true, uh, the state, when they bring charges against someone, they don't have to prove a motive. All they have to prove is that the person is responsible for the crime they're being charged with. Motive is not a necessary uh component of conviction so they don't have to prove motive i think it's going to be kind of obvious once they do uh you know the autopsy whether or not she was sexually assaulted uh that would probably be the motive in my opinion at this point i don't think it was robbery someone out running is probably only carrying a cell phone so that's no, I mean, it definitely wasn't robbery because all she had was her cell phone and right. he destroyed that right so uh, there's no I, i'm going to pull up that attorney that you uh were speaking about talking about what if there was motive. Yeah, that's him. Uh, what do these authorities do next as far as determining a motive, why this man decided to kill this amazing mother of two and teacher to many? Yeah, my heart goes out to the family. It is just the worst, um, most abhorrent allegations involved. Um, they don't have to establish a motive is the answer to the question. Uh, the good news is you really don't always know. And so the law then says you don't ever have to have a motive. A guy who allegedly um, did this has been to prison for 20 years. He may just like to do stuff like this. He may be that tormented. He may be that disturbed that that's his thing. But prosecutors don't ever have to prove motive, fortunately. You know, you've got to think about, um, you know, I know the conversation with the ladies on that numbered top of the last hour. We're talking about this is a situation so many moms are in where they've got young kids. They take them to school. They try to get in their workouts and in her case, her long run early in the morning. Uh, but any sort of habit or sort of trail that you do on a continual basis, I'd say it's five days a week. Someone can see you doing that. In this case, he could have been lurking for some time and known that she did these runs early in the morning. We at least know he was lurking for the 20, 25 minutes before she entered sort of his web, if you will. Uh, the surveillance video did show that he was wandering in that area for quite some time before she ran through. That's correct. And if you believe what the police are saying, and there's no reason to doubt then, then this guy is a predator. And so predators get out there and they look for people who may be vulnerable. And it would not surprise me if he studied her movement and then acted on it. He had a rap sheet. Uh, we know he went to uh, jail. He was serving 20 years um, for already carrying out a similar crime, um, aggravated kidnapping. Uh, you look back as a juvenile, he had a long record. Should this man have ever been walking freely in the streets? In theory, no, but 20 years is a pretty long sentence. I would defer to the prosecutors and the judge who signed off on that agreement. But what I don't like is that he currently has a bond. I don't think that that's appropriate. And while he's indigent, there could be somebody out there who somehow sees that this is a high profile case, decides to put down the 10% on the $500,000 bond, and he gets out. 
that to me would be a miscarriage of justice. I think the judge needs to revoke bond immediately. I would ask you what would happen next then. We do know that uh, he, as far as his represent representation is concerned, he's been issued a court-appointed attorney, uh, has been enlisted to represent him. The judge scheduled a second court date now. That is expected Wednesday, uh, tomorrow, September 7th, 9 a.m. What happens next here, Mark? Well, he enters a not guilty plea, which doesn't mean that he's saying I'm innocent. What he's doing is he's saying, OK, not guilty is also tantamount or equal to not proven because we don't have any evidence now. And he does enjoy the presumption of innocence in a court of law. And then his court appointed attorneys will work this case, as do I on all of my homicide cases, get all of the evidence, make sure that everything was seized constitutionally and that they can prove this case beyond it to the exclusion of every reasonable doubt. They'll then either go to trial or they'll work out some type of plea bargain down the road. Uh, we will be watching it all. Just incredibly sad, tragic. That attorney was excellent in the way that he explained things. Uh, Mary Williamson, thank you so much. Thank you, Mary. $20 Super Chat. Love this channel. Well, thank you. We love to have you uh, listening to us. Vet Girl, RW Bus, thank you for the $49.99 Super Chat. Thank you. In my opinion, the dumbest criminal ever or a dumb dude, 4 a.m., her routine. And they said he waited 20 minutes. They took her car and things from her home. Thoughts, please. Um, vet girl, in the beginning, they have to make sure that they look at every, every avenue of the investigation. So usually in any kind of case like this, you look at the family first, the husband specifically and members of the family. So that's why they took that evidence. Once they, there is no nexus, and I use that word nexus, it's a law enforcement word. I went to college once, I learned that word. Nexus means is there a connection between, and I don't mean to, if, you never heard that word, but I'm just teasing. Nexus, is there a connection between two parties in this case, three parties? Is there a connection between anything else in this case? Or is it as it seems? Is this perpetrator arrested did he act alone and not at the behest of anyone else in his heinous crime that he committed? Hope I, I explained mean, it. I mean, you might think about it like this. You would want the, the investigators, the detectives to do their due diligence in the early stages of his case. Perhaps there was a chance that it was going to be a kidnapping where there was going to be a ransom based on the fact that this is an affluent family. Uh, she's an heir to a, a billionaire fortune. So again, I think that they were taking those steps to ensure that if there was going to be some type of a ransom, that they would have all of the uh, facts that they needed to uh, work the case, so to speak. So again, I don't think that that's suspicious. I think it was just, you know, they were following the steps. Like Bill said, we're going to look at the husband, the family. We're going to try and get a picture. You know, you're walking into this thing blind. You get a call. Someone's been abducted. You don't know anything about them. You're going to try and find out as much victimology. We use that term a lot on this show. Victimology to find out about the victim so that way you can get an idea of what's going on in the person's life that could have caused them to be abducted. Again, this looks like a random case. He may have stalked her, however, but it does look like a, uh, a random case with a possible uh, sexual motive, in my opinion. And I think that the fact that, um, you know, that they were looking at it as possible, uh, you know, maybe a ransom, uh, it doesn't seem to be that that was going to be the motive in this case. You know, folks, and the way it presented itself in the beginning, of course, you, you don't know because allegedly there were marital problems. Allegedly, her husband had alcohol and drug problems. So you have to look at all those things and then just shut the door on it. Right. If, it's, if it means anything to the investigation, dig further. If you find out it has nothing to do with the investigation, then you cleared it. It's not there. It's not part of the investigation. But you have to look at every aspect in the beginning and then eliminate, we call it eliminating, eliminating things. Uh, Phil, you want to just do a quick uh, read? Sure. Joe Murray, attorney at law. Have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? You need a victim's advocate. Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He literally knows both sides of the fence. His website is jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702. Or you could email Joe at joe at jmurray.com. 
law.com and if you would like to advertise on police off the cuff real crime stories just drop us an email at police off the cuff the number one at gmail.com that's police off the cuff one word the number one at gmail.com our rates are very reasonable and we have a national as well as an international we had a a commenter a chatter today from dubai so we have a national as well as an international audience might be the right thing for your business Folks, I just want to say that my heart goes out um, to Eliza Fletcher's family. It's the most horrendous thing. You know, when I worked in 10 years in the homicide, sometimes Manhattan North Homicide Squad, sometimes you'd bring the cases home with you. And you couldn't help but it eaten up at you. And I find doing this work, doing a podcast, I'm finding some of the same feelings that I had when I was a cop. And it's not a good feeling, you know, when you have a, a positive outcome to a case, but this case doesn't make me feel good at all. I mean, the fact that they arrested this bad, bad guy, but I feel horrendous that this wonderful woman, this woman that had everything to live for, that loved and loved her, her kids, loved her husband, loved her family, loved her kindergarten students. Can you imagine? these little hopeful five and six-year-old kindergarten students, you know, what happened, you know, what happened to Miss Fletcher? You know, what do you tell us, a five or six-year-old, what happened to their teacher? I mean, it's just, it's, it's just so heartbreaking. And again, I applaud law enforcement, the unbelievable, and I underline that, the under, unbelievable work law enforcement did on this case, you guys are great. Absolutely, Billy. And no I think final you're, words. You're describing emotional pain, Bill. I talked about that earlier. I also talked about the fact that there were some comments about race in the, in the chat today. Uh, the majority of my career, and I'm sure you too, Bill, was spent in a minority community. Majority of the cases that I investigated and I got justice for victims was in the minority community. So if you're looking for uh, prejudice or uh, racial detectives or police officers, you're at the wrong channel. We are not that way. We're very fair with uh, everyone. Uh, and it just, it really upsets me when that, when somebody starts throwing the, uh, the race term around um, again, condolences to this family. Just everybody should have a good thought and, and keep a, a good thought for this family. If you're religious, say a prayer. I know I did in the last day or two, and uh, I will continue to do that. Um, that's probably the only thing that can get people through something like this is, uh, you know, prayer and, uh, the people around them, the community, uh, rallying around them. And, uh, no one should ever have to go through this, uh, horrible, horrible pain. And, uh, I'm just glad that we have a great, uh, fan base, subscriber base. Thank you so much to everybody. Thank you for all the super chats today. And, uh, let's hope that, uh, we can get a, a better story soon. Guys, uh, we're on uh, the air again tonight at 9 p.m. with um, retired NYPD scuba diver, uh, master scuba instructor, Mike Carew. And, of course, we're going to be covering the Kylie Rodney case. And, I, I mean, I don't know how much room is left to cover that duty run. Uh, did, a, did an unbelievable episode the other night with Adventures with Purpose. Uh, we're on the show and a retired NYPD scuba sergeant. So... There's a little room, a little air left for me to, to cover a little bit of that story. But um, again, yeah, guys, thank you so much for your support to our channel. Again, if you like our police perspective, subscribe to us. Go on YouTube, subscribe to us. Uh, we're friendly guys, you know, and uh, we appreciate all you guys. So if you're around tonight at 9 p.m., join us. God bless and have a great day. Stay safe, everyone. One episode. Just ain't enough